Hello and welcome to the Level Playing Field podcast. My name is Liam Bird. On today's episode, I will be speaking to Deborah Dilworth, who is the head of women's football at the Football Supporters Association, also known as the FSA. So I'm speaking to Debs because Level Playing Field are conducting a first-of-its-kind disability survey, focusing on the women's game. If you are listening before the 7th of April, you still have an opportunity to take part in the survey. Just click the link in the episode description of the podcast. If you are listening after that date, the results of the survey will be made public very, very soon. Right, let's crack on with the podcast. This is my chat with Debs. Enjoy. Debs. How are you? I hope you're well. I've done this several times now and I can only apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm loving this. And uh, thanks for having me on. I think when we speak about the women's game, a lot of people will think back to to the summer of 2022 when um, the, the, the England team won the Euros, women's England team won the Euros. But of course, there's been women's football before then. So how much do you think the state of the women's game has changed on and off the pitch? And let's go back to 2009 when the last time England women's team were in the finals but actually lost to Germany back then. I mean, the landscape has changed, changed tremendously in, in lots of different ways. I think um, there's some fallacies around there not ever being supporters and nobody cared about the women's game, et cetera, et cetera. They're all myths that actually, yes, there's been an increase in attendance, but there's always been a core group of people that have really championed and focused and wanted to um, care about the women's game and attend over over. Uh, the like a hundred years rather than you know the last five years so I think um, those kind of things yes there's been a growth in attendance but there's there's a core group of people that have continued continually got passionate about um, the game and wanting to support uh, athletes in the game I think um, things that have changed more visibly are uh, sort of branding sponsorship uh, you know the big kind of like title sponsors of the leagues now coming into the game a uh, broadcast um, and it being more visible and more kind of um, accessible in terms of papers and written form as well. So there's a lot more, a lot more websites and authors and stuff that are writing in and around the women's game, which is great. Um, and I think because there's more investment, the standard of play, the players actually have got better um, because they've given more chance to train and train properly, um, which has been really great to see. So it has changed. And, you know, there's some interesting things that are going on at the minute. What we now need to start to think about, and ideally we would have been thinking about this two, three years ago, the FSA definitely were, was then not making the same mistakes as the men's game. Um, because if we do go down that road, it, as we have seen through the fund-led review, it's a very challenging process and very, very painful process to unpick um, certain decisions that get made, um, which benefit very few people. So let's kind of hit on that then, regarding that interaction between club or governing body and supporters. Because it is being seen, especially in the media, I think the women's game is like this fresh new exciting game it's the fastest growing game in the uk where do you think that the the men's game can learn from the women's game regarding that fan interaction so i think there's some like prime opportunities to set 
engagement up in a different way than has been classically done in the, the men's game. Now, that's not to say in the men's game you don't have a lot of different clubs working really hard to engage their fans on a number of different levels and understand that fans, there's there's lots of different levels of fans and how they want to be engaged with. So some just actually want to turn up and go and then that's it. Some care about governance, finances, some care about the fact that their pie's cold or their tea's cold. I'm definitely one of them. That really is bugbear when the tea's cold. But, um, you know, there's there's those kind of elements. And I think there's some some really good examples across the game. Um, but actually, it has been hard work in the men's game to try to get sort of engagement and be, be seen as a key stakeholder. So I think in the women's game, we have an opportunity where support to act activism is um, slightly more mixed. It's got... Um, it's it's newer. Um, we've got structured activism now, I would say, because I think there's always been supportive activism in the women's game for, an, for a number of years. But now we've got structured activism and you've got what they should be seen as as is community champions, people that are working and volunteering in their communities to try to push more attendance, but also to create an atmosphere and communities in and around their clubs for the sake of the society around it. So I think there is more opportunity to sort of build from the very start these levels of engagement and sort of expectations and club standards, if you will, um, on a better level than what is happening in the men's game. The only problem is with that is then you've got a resource and issue club wide where it's very difficult because, you know, you've got really a load of people in the women's game and, and the men's game across football either volunteering or like doing above and beyond their day job to try to accommodate lots of different needs of the football club you know it can be a very hard industry to work in um and so the pressure then is where, where's your workforce coming from however to answer part of that problem some of the workforce come from the volunteers and if you engage with them properly you make them a priority you you embed them in the club and the decision making you've actually got people that are actively just volunteering their time anyway so it is a bit of a balance but I do understand it from a club side how difficult it can be um, but there's there's lots of opportunities to to create differences to the to the men's game so is there a worry that the game itself could be moving too fast in regards to 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 implement what it is that that you yourself might see as 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 kind of like the vision of how fan interaction should work is there a worry that be like i don't know if there is an slo in the women's game i definitely know there's no dlos in the women's game is there a worry that those foundations are not in place and and it's just going to skyrocket and keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and fingers in the pie itself, those fingers you might not want in that pie is going to start taking over. Yeah, I think um, is is the worry that decisions being made then basically benefit the few that can be part of those decisions. So at the minute, it, the WSL real, realistically looks like a miniature Premier League um, to some degree. And that is a desperate shame given the history and the heritage of the women's game and the clubs that have kind of like built the foundations. Then there's been the the problem where money has been an issue, or you're not backed by a, a men's team. What in whatever format that comes, then creates an issue where others can't compete. It's unsustainable and it's a disconnected pyramid. So we continue to go down that route. You're going to start to get this massive gulf, which isn't going to be beneficial for the whole game. 
um, and you can't have the head leaving the the body um, as a phrase a phrase that um, a number of the FA staff use I think a number of times so you can't have that disconnected pyramid but you do want to try to strive to grow and develop the game but at a sustainable level so that everybody benefits and it's not uh, top down it's got to be bottom up investment um so the likes of tier six tier seven teams are benefiting from this investment the dlos and the um slos they're not really existent in the women's game at the minute in a in a way we would try want and hope for and standardize you've got slos that are actually from the men's clubs that are then sort of like trying to put two one foot in each camp and that can be very difficult because if an slo doesn't necessarily have the passion or the care about the women's game then that might mean that you know the focus on the men's team if they've classically always done the men's team and they don't understand the nuances that that are around supporters with a disability or supporters of the women's game then they they actually might not really understand though the difficulties and barriers that supporters are facing and basically they'll replicate the plan that they've got for the men's team and slap it onto the women's team these things are happening across the game where it's like well this is football so we're just gonna straight apply it um so i think i think there is a danger of that and when we look at like the different reviews and stuff that are going on who's invested in these reviews and how they're looking it shouldn't just come down to a few clubs that maybe have a bit more monetary power to decide the vision and the future of the game for them only to benefit it's kind of interesting because I think people who may not know about the women's game might have heard what you said there and went, well, why can't they just transfer across? Why can't an SLO from the men's game just conduct the same kind of business that they would do in the women's game? Can you explain why that's not really possible? Yeah, I mean, firstly, I think SLO, the SLO position can be a, is a really undervalued position sometimes. So um, not all SLOs are paid. Um, sorry, do, I'm just, sorry, I'm just very aware we didn't actually say what an SLO is. Uh, supported liaison okay. officer. I'm just very aware that sometimes we say words that are kind of internal and then people outside of the world of football are like, what, 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 what they're talking about? Yeah, sorry. So yeah. supported liaison officer and disabled liaison officer is DLO. Sorry. Yes. So those two positions, some some are not paid and some are, depending on where you are, which league you're in. And then so but generally they have a really hard job because they're the ones that are trying to advocate and represent the supporter voice to the club and then the club voice to the supporters group. And they're often one or two people is it's for the amount of supporters that they have to engage with. That's quite difficult sometimes. And also they're put in positions where they may be aren't able to affect change so they're receiving a lot of um criticism or suggestions or whatever whatever it isn't depending on the scenario and then they're trying to advocate but can't, don't have the power or, or the opportunity to affect change for the better which puts them in a very squeezed position so i um i kind of think that with the that position it's not there's no standard practice within the women's game at the minute and this is where we need to get to and we need to try to put pull from best practice across the game so you wafer at the minute have a certificate in the support liaison officer and you'd be able to maybe confirm if they've got the dlo version um no so we'd idea you know you'd ideally want to try to pull this pull some of this across for a dlo as well um but they have certain standards of practice that they're trying to implement um but before we even get to that point you need to have a network and a system of slos and dlos that are working on the women's game specifically to that 
to answer your this sort of another part of your question, the reason why it can't be transferred is because the women's game is looking at completely different supporter issues on some perspectives than then in the men's game. So um stadiums, for example, you know, you've got clubs now, it's sort of seen as this thing to do to move move uh, borrow a national league stadium or a local stadium, which might not be in your actual community, take all the supporters out to that location or try and encourage supporters to go which could uh, you know be a lot of transport barriers it's not accessible by bus route what do supporters with disabilities do are there club comms around that because often there aren't there aren't supporters guys there aren't specific routes that supporters can take uh, or even information around that um, and then they move them to a main stadia twice a season which then creates a, a whole other host of issues because if you're running a main stadia on reduced resource, some supporters are going to miss out. And actually, from a um, level playing field perspective, that that p- potentially is the supporters with a disability. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that you can just flip flop over. You need specific people that one are invested in the women's game and two understand the nuances around what people are experiencing. Even ticketing as well. Ticketing is a, is really problematic. And if you've got a supporter that has had to create 12 different accounts just to get different away tickets, if you're a supporter then who needs additional help, how are you? You're just deterring people straight away immediately um, and making it harder for them. You know, um, who? this is why we need support liaison officers to kind of help with some of this. You've run off several kind of potential issues there within the game itself. Do you think if you're not working within the game or if you don't know the ins and outs of the game, so let's say the media, for instance, do you do you think they look at the women's game with rose-tinted glasses and go, everything's great? Because the words that I get seen used within the women's game is how inclusive it is and equality is fantastic. And I think if you ask a disabled supporter, they might push back and go, well, yes, that that they are they are promoting more women to attend like football. They they may be promoting LGBTQ plus issues, but where's the conversation regarding disability? For sure. And I think that this is, the rose tinted glasses is interesting, isn't it? Because we've got to be careful about what we wish for. And I, I know that a number of journalists have kind of talked around this just in terms of playing, you know, like commenting on the on-field stuff. So, um, not always being like perpetually positive because that's not realistic that's not realistic and that's not life however you then potentially take steps and moves to creating a more toxic environment which is you know we all lump up to like i'm a preston fan i lump up to deep dale on a saturday and all i hear is complaints basically not doing this quick enough not shifting the ball quick enough why are you going backwards why are you not going forwards why have you not shot there you know like do we really want to create that um in the women's game I, I definitely don't want don't want that and i think a number of supporters don't want to but that doesn't that doesn't mean that you can't sort of like have a level perspective on call a spade a spade oh this wasn't a good performance so you know there is there is a bit of give or take i think um this is where it's interesting and it's why i was like so delighted to work with level playing field and other stakeholders on the new publication that we've done um in and around diversity in the women's game because there is a lot of talk around, you know, all resting on the women's game is really inclusive, it's really welcoming, et cetera, et cetera. And it 
days but actually we can't rest on our laurels and then just go oh well okay we can't keep striving for better or making sure that everybody's experiences are great so between you know the page that uh, you provided with us uh, us with sorry and then um re research that we had from a, a couple of lecturers from nottingham trent university in and around actually what people's experiences are like um hopefully informed by the your survey your current women's game survey i think we need to be careful of just sort of always saying that it's welcome and inclusive without really having data to back that up um, and who is saying that so let's talk about the survey then. For, so for people listening now, you've got until, hopefully you're listening straight away, but you've got until uh, Friday the 7th of April at 11.59pm to take part in that survey. If you've not had that opportunity, please go do that one. You can do it while listening. If you can do two things at once, I cannot. But if you can, please go do that. As I said, the survey's not closed. And I did go and have a look before our chat. Debs at just some of the data and and there's there's some trends that are already kind of coming out so so one of the things that is a constant pattern is the lack of accessible stadium information such, such as parking and access points uh, disabled supporters not sure who their disability point of contact is at the club and for me a really interesting one was when asked the question what are the barriers for you when attending women's football the highest percentage so far at the moment, have stated anxiety and a lack of confidence is the barrier, the biggest barrier from attending. So I hear all that, and essentially, what I read or what I look into that is there's not enough information out there. So therefore, you're worried about going to a game. You don't know where you're going if you're going to a game. It's not the same stadium, so therefore, you're unfamiliar if they're playing away from the the men's stadium. What are your thoughts, just from that? Obviously, uh, uh, just very o quick overview of of what the survey is is telling us. I think it's just it's. So I was going to say actually uh, on the last part that it's this isn't about fear mongering or by say, or saying that the women's game isn't inclusive or welcoming because it totally is. Because I think some people would be, sit back and go, oh hang on, like, you know, surely it is, you know, in comparison, and yes, in comparison to the men's game, for sure, like, you know, there's there's always, uh, you always hear a lot of positive stories, but it is about thinking, thinking about who's answering that question and then how we can better experience for more people as the attendances um, grow. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. There's a lack of consistency. Even when clubs do do some things, there's a lack of consistency on it as well. So even the basic of supporters guides, it's very inconsistent across the leagues, but it's one of the easiest things you could do just to alleviate anxiety for people. You know, and if you're a person that does suffer from chronic anxiety, why would you put yourself through that? you know um it's just it's not it doesn't surprise me some of those results um and this is why we need to make we need to strive to get better standards and structure structured supporter engagement across the leagues something that we're advocating for from the fsa from an fsa perspective and even just you know trying to do something as simple as a standard supporters guide and supporting clubs to do this as well by recognising that they're under-resourced so is there templates that we can provide or work with the FA to provide in order to make it just standard this is the information that you need can we send it out or distribute it to your database and your um on social media 
Um, but yeah, it really, it doesn't surprise me because I think that, that can be people's experience and it turns them off. You touched on it earlier, actually, and there's several comments in the survey that they have spoken about the fact that the women's team play outside of the town or city they are associated with. So forget the stadium being possibly inaccessible. They can't even access like out of the town because public transport might not be accessible as well. They, they might have to take several buses. They might have to change at several train stations. Do you think there needs to be some form of regulation or legislation that is stating that the club themselves, if they are calling themselves Club X, they need to play in that town or that city? Even if it's not the same stadium, at least in the same vicinity of the town that they that they state that they are representing as a football team? I think it would be very difficult to do that currently with the infrastructure. So you, you could do that. So if we think through that process, so Club X has to play in... So if we just pick Rotherham, for example, it's probably easier. Rotherham has to then play in that location. You then potentially compromise in standards or not getting the best standard of pitch for your theme, your athletes who are women, then because they can't use the main stadia. So actually, should should those athletes be compromised in that way? Or if you go slightly further, can you get a better standard of facility, changing rooms, um, you know, just generally stuff that's uh, potentially focus a little bit more on women or set up a little bit more for women so you've got all those kind of elements that you need to consider before you then start to put so, such strict rules on they have to play in this location the problem is is this you know when players also have a number of issues at this moment in time really in terms of like their treatment what they're getting their contracts you know how they look so you're compromising supporters you're potentially compromising players. Where do you go? You, clubs clubs are in a difficult position, really. Um, and I think if everybody could have a sort of Man City-esque system, then maybe they would. But, you know, infrastructure and like facilities, um, facilities are very difficult all the way through the pyramid, um, particularly for women and girls. I still feel like there's a poor experience um, and it's a bit of a fight to try to get onto facilities or uh, fair access. Um, so there'll be some leagues, some men's leagues that dictate that they have to have a certain amount of warm up time. You don't get the same luxury in the women's leagues and and then therefore you're not creating parity. Um, but this, this is just a wide a countrywide problem. I think any disabled person hearing that is kind of like, I'm really sorry, but if we need to move outside of the city, we need to move outside of the city because we want to keep the quality of the game as high as possible. Yeah. That's not inclusive. Yeah. And that's difficult as well. So, but, the, but then it's, then it's a case of going, okay, we need to move here for these reasons and the clubs being transparent and clear about the reasons why they're playing in that location. And then scaling on from that, what are they then doing to help supporters get to that venue? How are they going to com communicate that? Um, how are they potentially going to like work with supporters to understand some of the barriers? So if you are a supporter with a disability, are, are your club listening to you? You know, you can't say that you want supporters and then only basically um, work with the people that have overcome, you know, 10, 15 barriers in order to get there. Um, 
that's kind of not a way to build the audience or build, you know, work with your supporters. But yeah, I can see why it would feel really unfair. And I think even if you don't have a disability, you you feel that way. You feel aggrieved. So it must be, you know, 10 times worse for somebody who's then got extra requirements or things to consider. Let, let's let's use the champ, the Women's Super League and, and the championship as as the, the two leagues that we're going to talk about in this situation. Do you see a situation in the next five years where, where about at least half of those teams will be playing in essentially their home stadium, what, what should be their home stadium, the men's stadium? Do you see that happening? And also, do you see the issues that could arise whereabouts facilities within stadiums are focused very much on men and and not so much on women i'm i'm assuming the women's game is a lot more mixed gender than it would be in the men's in the men's game i don't know i mean if if we get to a situation and this is something that we've sort of argued with um argued for sorry with the fa um and sort of other stakeholders is sort of saying well you know it it's all very well and good, the main stadium being used, but if that if it basically looks like the women's team is just borrowing that state stadia for two two games a season, is that actually really helping the game overall? Because it just to create creates this dispensability dispensability that the women's game has has chronically had to suffer from this sort of, well, you can be moved because you're the women's game. You can go there because you're the women's game. Oh, your fixture can be moved within three days because you're the women's game. There's like so such little respect that it it, it adds to that. So realistically, those um clubs have to think are if we're going to move this so i know it was in the press recently that arsenal are seriously considering to considering this how they can integrate it well everything has to be changed um pictures on the wall infrastructure how you how you um make sure that the changing facilities are suitable for the women's teams how you make sure the facilities for the supporters are suitable it's got to be a proper integration because if we carry on with this system where we go, oh, two times a season, we're going to celebrate that they're in the, I'm saying main stadium, but actually I still think a lot of people call it the men's stadium because that's what it is at the minute. I think we can only probably say it's the main stadium when it's integrated and both and every, all parts of your community have access to it fairly. Um, so is it, you know, even in attendances and stuff, actually, I'm not sure it's had the positive effect on attendances when you flip flop and you move them around. And and again, if you're a supporter with a disability, like it or somebody like with chronic anxiety, you're used to going to such and such on three buses and then it changes to the main stadium. Well, a main stadium presents all sorts of other problems. Then if it's not staffed and it's under-resourced, so you experience on a men's match day and you might have more resource to help you with that experience but you experience on a women's game day and it's actually you don't have that same level is that helpful you know so I think a lot of questions have to be asked I think there is I think they are being asked in the sense of can men's teams accommodate the women's teams within the stadiums and can they be shared I think that is definitely something that's being looked at quite widely at the minute but it needs to be thought about in in a number of perfect on from a number of perspectives and with a number of stakeholders involved so level playing field fsa 
etc. Some people might see this as like as a negative conversation at the moment. So let's try and talk about some of the positives. And, and one of the positives I do want to touch on is is the feedback that you've had, the FSA have had on the survey that you had last year. It was picked up a lot. And I think people saw this as like an opportunity for women's football to look internally and how actually the fans themselves see the game. So what have you seen implemented from that survey? What what are the positive changes you've seen? We have really grown quite a lot since since we first started, actually. In 2019, we have had no members and now we've got just over 52. I think from this, we released a number of things last year and we did a number of different things. And that's because the organize, our organisation has recognised the growth and the sort of opportunities in the women's game too, hence why I'm head of women's football. That wasn't a role that existed until, you know, two years ago, basically. Um, so I think there's changes like that, but then there's also recognition of supporters being a key stakeholder and also a really important stakeholder in the growth of the women's game. Because if you look at how lots of people lots of stakeholders and supporters want to sort of grow the women's game it's around participation and fandom well if you've got if you're trying to grow it through fandom then fans need to be across every decision that's being made commercial models will rely on fans so fans need to be involved in that conversation so from from some of the activity that we did we launched a strategy we did the survey and now we've launched this new guidance this year we have engaged heavily with the football football association in really positive conversations and they've had really open dialogue with us i speak to him on a one-to-one basis every every couple of weeks i would say or every month and then we have um formal engagement with with them so next week we'll be on our second version second meeting of that which is really good progress where supporters reps get taken in to to meet with the fa officials and sort of advocate supporter issues on a wide range of um topics so that could be national league topics that could be england topics wsl so that's been a change that more formal dialogue and then also working with colleagues at the fa who have been absolutely brilliant to try to understand what club needs are club barriers are and then also how we can try to support clubs in developing their supporter engagement and we've had a lot of in interest from a number of different clubs across the pyramid to try to better understand their fans or to even just think about the topic because as we've mentioned a number of times in this um phone call there are a lot of really good people doing a lot of really good work but are very stretched in the women's game and, you know, actually fan engagement on a long list of things, you know, facilities, player care, player liaison, uh, you know, administrative stuff. Sometimes fan engagement gets a bit lost, particularly because it's a newer area and people maybe don't understand the value or the benefit of having a structured engagement or proper proper engagement with their fans. So I think there's we're making moves all the time and also our supporters groups are getting stronger and their their sort of running and professionalism is getting stronger their knowledge of the game their insight into the game is getting stronger and that will only benefit the game as well so you know it's really important for us as an organization to recognize that as the clubs are developing our supporters groups have to you know move with that and also put the, their best foot forward and make sure they're running properly as well I mean, this is an open goal for you. Is it going to be the fans who are going to drive women's football forward if we want to make it as an inclusive environment? And and I mean that by all protective characteristics, women, LGBTQ+, disability, race. 
is it do you think it's going to come from the fans or do you think there is enough want and will within the game to push that forward i think it's going to come from it should come from everybody it should come from the players so if the players don't want to see a to- toxicity then they need to start calling that out more on social media or just generally um so players play a massive role in that supporters definitely play a massive role in that because they can kind of set the tone um clubs as well you know how clubs handle these things going forwards and sort of you know if you're if this is where my worry you know and a number of people across our network our worry would be is that you're trying so desperately to protect some of the best things about the women's game but you're using an old model to put on to apply to the women's game to try to grow it so this is where we need to let loose of that model a little bit to then pivot and see if we can create um opportunity in a different way um and you know because otherwise if we keep applying the same model and we just say oh this is just football then you're going to get some of the same problems where people then don't feel included sorry um or thought about um i think it's everybody's responsibility so it's like sometimes the supporters are the ones that are like well, you need to you need to sort this out, and it's you know your issue. But actually, the clubs have a massive part to play in that. The leagues and the tone that they say have a massive part to play in that. So, as long as you're listening to this podcast before April the seventh, have your voice heard and take part in the survey. You can find out more about the work that Debs and the FSA team are doing by going via the link in the episode description of this podcast. Debs, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you for having me.